Hi, I'm Dr. Liz Sutherland from AARM, the Association for the Advancement of Restorative Medicine, and this is Restorative Medicine Conversations. I'd like to invite you to sit back and relax as I talk with experts from around the world who are making a difference in the field of restorative medicine. We hope you'll also consider joining us at our annual conferences or through our fellowship program in herbal medicine. If you'd like more details about opportunities to earn CME, or you'd like to subscribe to this podcast and receive our monthly newsletter, visit us at restorativemedicine.org. Today, it's my pleasure to interview Dr. David Brownstein. Dr. Brownstein is a board-certified family physician who's devoted to using the best of conventional and alternative therapies for patient care. Dr. Brownstein has presented nationally and internationally about his success using natural therapies. He is also a prolific writer and educator and is the author at the last count of 16 books. So welcome, Dr. Bernstein. Thank you for having me, Liz. You're very welcome. So I know that you treat a wide array of health conditions in your integrated medicine practice and that one of your major concerns over this last year has been working with patients who are suffering from COVID infection Would you tell us what are the major nutritional factors that you have seen that influence recovery from COVID-19? We were involved in COVID from the beginning when it hit Michigan in March. We felt we were well positioned to help people get over COVID because we have been checking vitamin and mineral levels and doing nutritional and holistic medicine for over 25 years. So we thought our patients would be better health going into this illness than maybe, you know, the average person out there. You know, it's not easy to answer what are the nutritional things that help them get over this because, you know, we've been checking nutritional levels for 25 years and sort of correcting them as we go. And our patients have done well through COVID. I mean, we've treated over 200 now. And, you know, we have very good numbers to report on it. But our patients didn't get hospitalized. They didn't die. They didn't get the long hauler effects, you know, anywhere near what the rates, you know, being reported are. And our history over the last 25 plus years is our patients don't get hospitalized for the flu. They don't get pneumonia. They don't die at anywhere near the rates reported. And it's because we pretty much use these same holistic principles over those 25 years to keep their bodies healthy and to treat them. I guess I would go with what sort of what our protocol has been for COVID and say, you know, vitamins A, C, D, and iodine are the core of it. And we've been using high doses of those at the first sign of an illness and then lower doses, you know, while they're sick. And if patients get worse, we had them use intravenous doses of vitamin C and hydrogen peroxide, and they nebulized hydrogen peroxide and saline. We used ozone as, you know, a newer therapy over the last few years as we learned about ozone. But, you know, that's in a nutshell what we've been dealing with our patients. So, you know, I've seen the articles on vitamin D deficiency and COVID and, you know, the associations that are reporting with low vitamin D and worsening COVID. You know, our patients didn't really have that because our patients are all checked for vitamin D. I've been checking it for 27 years and correcting vitamin D deficiencies. So our patients generally went into COVID with adequate vitamin D levels. But if they got sick, we upped their dose dramatically for a few days. And then we found that their immune systems seem to, you know, recover quicker and, you know, without... Uh, having to be hospitalized and ventilated and anywhere near, you know, what the rates were reported. That's fantastic news. So it sounds like you're saying that, first of all, you have a very extensive, holistic, preventative, immune balancing protocol that you use in your practice on any patient that needs it. 
And so your patient, their susceptibility to infection was lowered anyway. But if somebody became infected to begin with, they would use oral doses of vitamins A, C, D, and also iodine. Is that correct? That's correct. And then if they became sicker, you would switch them to an intravenous protocol. If they didn't respond or, or, or needed more support, yes, we would treat them with an intravenous protocol. How did you vary your protocol based on patient factors such as age, sex, and immune status? That's an interesting question because we didn't vary it. And really, it's the same protocol we've used for over 25 years for flu-like illnesses. And during flu season, you know, people get sick. And I remember when I started holistic medicine 27 years ago, you know, flu season comes around. And at that point, there was no Tamiflu, even though I don't think Tamiflu was a great treatment for flu and the studies don't really prove that, but there was no drugs like Tamiflu out there. And I'll reiterate that again. I'm not giving this a promotion for Tamiflu because I think it's a lousy drug with lousy side effects and, you know, not very good benefits for the flu, but there was nothing back then. So I started researching items that would support the immune system and allow their innate and adaptive immune systems to work better and to help them recover and to perhaps not get as sick, you know, when they get these illnesses. And so really the same therapy of vitamin A, C, D, and iodine we've used for 25 plus years on patients every flu season. So it didn't vary. We would use it for kids. We would use it for women. We'd use it for men, old, young, black, white. It didn't really matter. Again, our experience has been, we, we talk about it every flu season that we see these numbers, 20 to 80,000 die a year from the flu and maybe in a bad year, 100, 120,000 die. We just don't have any. Look, nothing works 100% of the time, but we just don't have anywhere near those numbers. And our patients just aren't hospitalized. They don't get pneumonia. And so over, over the years, as we learn new things, we would tweak our recipe, but the basic recipe has been pretty constant. Really, the newest part of the recipe was using ozone about eight or nine years ago when I learned about ozone through Dr. Robert Rowan. You know, we instituted using uh, intramuscular shots of ozone if they needed more than what the oral therapy would give them. Otherwise, we don't vary it. It's the same therapy. Maybe with kids, we'll dose down a little bit for their weight. But if they get the same basic things that the adults get. Do you usually evaluate nutritional status of your patients? And if so, how do you test for the levels of the nutrients that you are going to supplement them with? When I mention that I practice holistic medicine, I mean that I look at the nutritional and hormonal levels of every patient that comes in. And, you know, the first visit, that's what they get, a nutritional and hormonal evaluation. So from that first visit, you know, I began and my partners began working on reestablishing optimal levels of nutrients and, and optimal hormonal levels and reestablishing balance and, you know, homeostasis in the body. So that's the first visit. And then my premise has always been that if the human body has the right level of the basic raw materials and nutrients that it needs, it's well positioned to not only overcome any stressful situation, but to you know, recover from a stressful situation without long-term effects. You know, I don't claim to be a rocket scientist by making those statements. I've just been treating patients for 27 years and I can see the effects of it. And for me, it's a common sense argument that patients going to do better with any stressful situation, whether we want to call it COVID or influenza A or influenza B or some emotional stress or something, if they have adequate vitamin D levels or adequate vitamin A levels or adequate vitamin C levels and proper thyroid function and adrenal function, you know, going into that illness. And I've seen the results in my, the positive results in my practice. My patients have seen the positive results. So when COVID was coming, 
I remember having a meeting with my partners and my staff and saying, I think we are as well positioned as anybody for this illness. We're working to get our patients in better shape nutritionally, and we've got a therapy to help support their immune system. You know, it's not just waiting around to see what happens with them if they get sick. We can sort of institute a plan to further support their innate and adaptive immune systems. And the proof is in the pudding because we've seen the results. You know, I published a peer-reviewed study on 107 patients of how well they did and how much less hospitalization and we had no deaths in the group. It was our first 107, you know, in March and April from COVID, you know, when people were dying at an enormous case fatality rate. And, you know, we've continued treating patients. We've treated over 200 now. We're somewhere in the 230s. Before I came to do this interview with you, I was outside doing parking lot IVs. And as the snow was coming down, two of my patients who met me there who just recently become ill. So we're, we're still doing the same therapy and still seeing the same good results. I'm really heartened to hear that you're continuing to treat COVID patients given the climate, which is particularly hostile to using so-called unproven therapies. So glad to hear that. I was wondering if you could talk more about iodine. I think that many people are familiar with iodine as a very effective topical disinfectant, but less familiar with use of it as a therapeutic agent. Well, I became interested in iodine about 10 years into my practice when I was seeing so many patients suffering from thyroid problems. You know, I ended up having, I would say, three quarters of my patients on thyroid hormone. And I just was bothering me. Why would so many people need thyroid hormone just because they're getting older? I mean, we weren't designed that way. And so I would go back to the physiology of the thyroid gland and the biochemistry and look at the various nutrients and essential ingredients needed to not only produce thyroid hormone, but to activate it from inactive thyroid hormone. So, you know, I, I would try various things and nothing seemed to work as well as putting them on a little bit of thyroid hormone when they were hypothyroid. And then, you know, I would try iodine over the times, you know, on and off and it just wasn't working great. It didn't hurt anybody, but it just wasn't working great. And then I met my mentor in iodine, Dr. Guy Abraham, who taught me that I was using the wrong form of iodine and why you need both forms, iodine and iodide. And how iodine has antiseptic properties to it. There's no virus or bacteria or parasite that's resistant to iodine. The white blood cells can't produce their enzymes and their peroxidases to kill foreign invaders if they don't have adequate amounts of iodine. You can't make a hormone in the body if you don't have adequate amounts of iodine. And there's more effects for iodine on the adaptive and innate immune systems. So, you know, iodine was just crucial for every cell in the body. So I began using iodine. I was able to lower my thyroid hormone use from three quarters to less than a quarter of my patients. And lo and behold, their immune system seemed to function better. Look, I'm not claiming it's a cure for common cold or anything like that. They, my patients still get sick like everybody else is out there, but they just don't seem to get as sick. They don't seem to get hospitalized, develop pneumonia, you know, the same things that I said before. Out of all the things I've done over the years, you know, Using iodine is the biggest bang for the buck. I don't think there's any doubt from that. So iodine was a basic part of the protocol. As you mentioned, it has antiseptic properties when applied topically, but it also has antiseptic properties taking it orally. You know, as I said, the white blood cells, the innate part of the immune system can't function optimally. The adaptive part can't function optimally without iodine. So what I have always instructed my patients to do if they get sick or the first sign of a sore throat or a cough or something is to double whatever iodine dose they're taking. Now, I've tested over 7,000 patients between me and my partners, and our data has found over 97% are low in iodine, most drastically low in iodine. We know iodine levels have fallen across the U.S. over the last 40 years by nearly 50%, and the average iodine levels are low in the U.S. right now, you know, according to WHO standards. 
So is it any wonder in this population of our country, which two thirds is obese, you know, iodine is not the only nutrient that's low in people. You know, I see people low in thiamine and B12 and magnesium and vitamin A and vitamin C. I mean, you know, we've been checking all these levels for all these years. I mean, how does the immune system have a chance if it doesn't have the basic raw materials it needs? And iodine is one of those raw materials that it needs. We found good results using it 25 years ago. We're finding good results using it today. I can see where vitamins um, A, C, and D improve a person's immunity by having their impact on specific aspects of the immune system. Does iodine have the immune boosting functions that you've described because it kills any pathogens that might be both covert and overt pathogens that a person might have, and therefore raises their threshold against infection? Or does it have a direct supportive effect on the immune system? Oh, it's got lots of direct supportive effects. And, you know, I wrote about this in my paper and I wrote about this in my newest book, you know, A Holistic Approach to Viruses. You know, iodine is essential for proper immune system functioning. It's been shown to increase IgG synthesis in human lymphocytes. And we know the lymphocytes are a problem in COVID-19 as they become deficient. Iodine deficiencies associated with decreased phagocytic activity of blood neutrophils. That goes to the innate immune system. And as I said before, they have decreased phagocytic activity and they have decreased peroxidase activity. And they can't release their substances to kill these foreign invaders. And, you know, iodine supplementation has been shown to increase the ability of granulocytes to kill infectious organisms because it increases peroxidase ability to be released. There's been studies showing, you know, nasal and uh, oral gargling with small doses of povidine iodine, you know, can kill COVID, you know, and activate COVID within 15 to 30 seconds. You know, Japan has done very well, and Tokyo particularly has done very well with COVID so far. You know, there's been a bunch of theories on why Tokyo's in a population that's crammed in, you know, tighter probably than New York City, and they don't have anywhere near the death rate and the illness that, you know, we've suffered with it. And the Japanese get 100 times more iodine in their diet than we do. It's my premise that perhaps the reason they are doing so much better is because they have better phagocytic activity of their neutrophils compared to us and better innate and adaptive immune system ability. And they can produce IgG, they can produce their immunoglobulins that we can't do. That's a really interesting theory. Thank you. You mentioned your new book, A Holistic Approach to Viruses. And there's a chapter in that book entitled, This is Our Wake-Up Call. And I wonder, would you mind giving us a, a kind of overview of what that chapter is about? It's interesting you bring that up. I almost titled the book, This is Our Wake-Up Call. And I, I was going back and forth between the title of A Holistic Approach to Viruses and This is Our Wake-Up Call. And I was asking people their opinion, and people seem to like A Holistic Approach to Viruses a little bit better. But This is Our Wake-Up Call is certainly apropos to what's happened today. You know, the U.S. has 5% of the world's population and something like 30, 35% of the world's deaths from COVID. We've suffered dramatically compared to other Western countries. And I wrote that chapter because, you know, I said in there, I don't know why we should be surprised about this. We have been an unhealthy population for decades. We finished last to second to last on every single health indicator from the World Health Organization for determining the health of a country, from neonatal mortality to maternal mortality of childbirth to, you know, longevity. We spend the most money on healthcare, almost 20% of our GNP, compared to the next major Western country that spends 12%, and most of them spend less than 10%. Their other countries live longer. They have less hospitalization, less disease, less chronic illness. You know, it's just the, the numbers are astounding when you look at it. This is our wake-up call was written to say, you know, there should be nothing surprising that COVID nailed us. 
And now perhaps we should have a Manhattan project for our health. And it should be from the highest reaches of our government. We're taking more drugs than anyone on the planet. Clearly, that's not the way to do it. That hasn't helped. We take more vaccines than anyone on the planet. Well, I mean, more vaccines don't seem to be the answer because we have more illness in our kids and autoimmune disease and health problems in our kids than any other, any other Western kids on the face of the planet. I don't believe we should have to suffer poor health. We shouldn't stand for it. The human body wasn't designed to be unhealthy as it gets older. And yet here we are. So the purpose of that chapter was to say we need a new plan. And the plan of relying on drugs, you know, what I was taught in medical school was to diagnose pathology, prescribe the drug to treat that pathology. The problem is the drug to treat that pathology primarily works by poisoning the enzymes and blocking receptors in the body. And I don't think we were designed to do that. There's a time and a place to do that during acute crises like heart attacks or strokes or something like that. But we should be in better health so we don't get those in the first place and we, we don't need these rescue therapies. We'd save a lot of money. We wouldn't have been hit so hard with COVID and we wouldn't be in the mess we're in right now. It would truly be wonderful if this pandemic becomes a silver lining in the approach of this country in particular to preventative health and supporting well-being in its population is a focus on the health of the microbiome part of your wake-up call? Of course. The microbiome is huge. Our microbiome is a mess right now. You know, we, I see all the patients that are complaining of all the GI complaints and suffering with poor GI health. And it's growing. And now it's happening in younger and younger kids. And sure, that's just a, you know, it's just one more thing that shows how unhealthy we are. I was talking to my partner about it the other night after work. We've worked a long day and we're just talking to each other. And I said, Rick, if people just ate better and they cut sugar out of their diet and they cut refined carbohydrates out of their diet, half our business would be much easier to deal with. And he, go, he said, no, Dave, it's not half. It's about 75, 80%. And you wouldn't have the microbiome problems. You wouldn't have the immune system problems. You wouldn't have the thyroid problems. You wouldn't have the you know, liver problems and you know, so on and so on. So absolutely, the microbiome is an important part, just as everything else is. I know it continues to be shocking how little awareness there is of the connection between the nutrition we take in and our health. Dr. Brownstein, before we end, I want to make sure there isn't anything else that you would like to say or a question that I haven't asked you that you would, you would like to weigh in on. Just one comment. You mentioned at the beginning, you know, these were tough times and, you know, the, you know, I, I've been censored over what I was writing at the early parts of COVID and had to take off my blogs down that were just reporting on how our patients were doing. Look, either we learn to talk about this stuff and we learn from each other or we're just going to continue the mess we're in right now. You know, everyone's focused on the vaccine right now, the vaccines that are coming out. Well, guess what, folks? These vaccines don't work if your immune system doesn't respond appropriately to the vaccines. So you need a healthy immune system, whether you're going to survive COVID, whether you're going to get the vaccine or whether you're not, because vaccines aren't going to work in an unhealthy body. I think that we need a new focus. We need a new Manhattan project and we need, you know, this should come from the highest echoes of our government. And unfortunately with big pharma controlling the narrative, I'm skeptical that's going to happen anytime soon, but hopefully when people decide they've had enough, they'll rise up and let the representatives and the senators know, you know, we've, we've had enough. We're paying too much for substandard healthcare. Dr. Brownstein, thank you very much for this interview and for your compelling ideas and obviously rousing dedication. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Liz. 
Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode of Restorative Medicine Conversations, please subscribe to the podcast and our newsletter. And if you'd like more opportunities to learn from experts like my guest today, visit restorativemedicine.org to find out more about the Association for the Advancement of Restorative Medicine, our annual conferences, our Herbal Medicine Fellowship, and the Journal of Restorative Medicine.